Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. You'd better watch out. Grumbrindle is coming to town. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's GJ, and today we are going to take a look at the most famous dwarf of all time in the Warhammer universe. A dwarf of such renown that he even has his own magazine. Plus the other way around, of course, the White Dwarf is uh, named and, and devised after the magazine. I think the magazine was there first before any rules for a White Dwarf or even the name Grumbrindle had been uh, devised. However, before we dive into White Dwarfs and the White Dwarf and even the reason for why I'm doing an episode on the White Dwarf in December, we're first going to take a look at some news and hobby. Well, everybody needs a hobby. A hobby is supposed to pass the time, not fill it. I did absolutely nothing and it was everything that I thought it could be. Starting with news, those new Battle Force boxes are on sale now. You can uh, order them, well you could already pre-order them of course, but they get delivered now. I got mine in the mail today. I did order the um, Squigglelange, all the, the squigs, I'm going to use them for a Night Goblin Force. And uh, well, of course I'm going to use them for a Night Goblin Force, because what else? But uh, I, I uh, got it in the mail today, I ordered it for my birthday, which is coming up in two days. I'm recording this on December the 6th, and December the 8th is my birthday. So I thought that would be a nice birthday present for this year. I opened the box, I took a look at it and all the sprues and everything. And there is one little thing that ticks me off. Now I know that a lot of people who listen to the podcast like to hear about Grumpy Nathan. So um, since Nathan is not here now, he is uh, very busy with everything going on in his life at the moment. Uh, let me introduce you to Grumpy GJ. What is the big problem with this uh, squig box? The major problem I have with it is that in the squig uh, uh, squig herd spruce, you you get when you when you buy this box, you get two mangler squigs, a uh, a night goblin on a giant squig. And a bunch of squig hoppers and, and what you would say would be a squig herd. You get 10 squigs and 2 night goblin herders. Now these 2 night goblins can each be made in 2 different ways. You can have one that either has uh, symbols or a, a bagpipe. And the other one has either a prodder or... Um, I, I believe it's like a, a toadstool dangling on a loop, uh, to or, or on a on a loop on a pole to um, uh, to to herd the squigs uh, forward. So, um, the problem is that I would like to get both of these variants. However, in order to do that, you would need 
two of the bodies and these parts are made in such a way they are not modular at all you can um you cannot simply uh, take the arms and put them on a regular nigoblim body uh, without a lot of fuss for example if you have the uh, the one with the bagpipes um the upper torso is one part but it stops at the back of the head and the um the hood the tip of the hood the, the tip of the um yeah you, you know the, the the black robes that they wear and then they have this uh, these these uh, these hoods on top uh, the tip of that the pointy end is part of the lower body so it would take a lot of green stuffing and a lot of sculpting to get these right now i would like though to to make all these uh, variants and i know that it is nice that you have options but it would also be nice if you simply get those bodies twice on the spruce now the spruce are of course very full but i think there might be some way to design them that you can actually make those extra goblins fit in there and this is something that gw do with a lot of their boxes and this is a nice segue into what i've been doing these past few weeks uh, last week i was ill and that's the reason why we didn't have a podcast last week and um, i'm still well i'm mostly recovered but i'm still a little bit behind my trying to catch my breath after talking so i have to uh, pause recording here and there however um in these past few days i've been mostly building the stuff that i want to paint for the december call of the crown challenge and one of the things i want to do is a cygor and um if you have the the, the Cygor box, you can make a Cygor or a Gorgon. And you have a lot of parts there that uh, are used for either. You have, for example, uh, two distinct heads. You have uh, four distinct sets of horns. You have a lot of different options from for arms and hands and weapons. However, you only have uh, one torso and one of each uh, leg. And if you had two torsos, you could easily use all those parts to make both a Cygor and a Gorgon. Um, I know it might be economic to make them into a same box and, and sell them as a kit that comes that way. But yeah, let's face it, you get a lot of spillage that way, a lot of waste. And I don't mind putting in extra stuff in the in the boxes on the spruce if it is uh, functional if you have for example night goblins with a lot of mushrooms or stuff like that or uh, undead with some extra skulls uh, a lot of things like that even extra options for arms and weapons you can always find a use for those but what am i going to do with a a cygor arm um, and this is a problem that's been going on for a long time and i have this problem also for a long time I think the first kit, at least the first kit that comes to mind that did this was the Plastic Giant kit that was released in 7th edition and uh, that is still on sale today. In this kit you have all the arms and, and 
uh, hooves and feet and everything to make uh, two or three giants. But you only have one torso, uh, one, one belly, one back and one set of legs. So when I got this giant I made my own torso out of uh, uh, very crudely out of wire and uh, some uh, some paper tape uh, you know the, the, like the painter's tape that uh, that you use to uh, make sure you don't paint over the windows and everything and, uh, and and a lot of green stuff and I have something that can function as a giant but it doesn't really look like anything that you would uh, put on the tabletop except in the utmost hour of need. However, I don't like wasting all those parts. So, uh, GW, if you are listening, and I, I know you are because uh, all the stuff about the old world that we talked about uh, that you have uh, you have um, mentioned in, uh, in articles. So, uh, well, <laughs> uh, at least I hope you are listening. Or maybe I... I should say I don't hope you're listening because of copyright issues. I don't know how that's going to work out. But if you are listening um, for the old world, I'd like to see some more dedicated kits. And if you do something like that where you can make multiple options out of the same box, then at least provide us with enough stuff that we can make both options. Now for my uh, Saigur and Gorgon, what I have decided to do is I wanted to... Uh, magnetize the arms and um, and and uh, the weapons options and the heads as well. So that is what I'm going to do. I have one I bought new on Sprue, one Saigor, and one I had uh, second hand. I, I bagged around for some extra bits for somebody who made a um, a Gorgon and not a Saigor and uh, well then uh, hopefully when they arrive I can make uh, these two miniatures I can have either a Saigor or and a Gorgon or two of each I don't know if I'm ever going to use that but I like to keep my options open now I have also uh, been prepping some uh, Ungors that I want to do this month I have taken it upon myself to convert Ungrol Fourhorn. There are a lot of Beastman characters in the book that are not for sale as miniatures. I can think of at least four that have never gotten a miniature. These are uh, Torox, the Brass Bull, the aforementioned Ungrol Fourhorn. You have uh, Moonclaw, the son of Morsleep, which is a, a sort of ghostly, specter-like Beastman um, riding on a steed of some sort with two heads and you have uh, Slugtong which is a, uh, a wizard uh, also a wizard just uh, a Moonclaw is also a wizard and um, these characters have never been represented by miniatures and I think maybe that Beastman is one of those books where you have uh, most of those characters that are or maybe maybe one of the books that have the most characters that never got miniatures. Um, they certainly didn't get a lot of love, uh, especially with all the power creep. Skaven held up pretty nicely in 8th edition. Beastmen are just uh, somewhere at the, uh, all the way down at the bottom. The ambush rules don't really work for them in 8th edition. Well, um, let's see how they will perform when the old world hits. 
I still enjoy painting them up. Uh, they are rather... They, they take contrast paints rather nicely. I'm going for a quantity over quality here. I hope by the end of the challenge to paint all the Beastman models I have. And that would put me at a... Uh, almost 10,000 points, I believe, of uh, Beastman. Well, a little bit over 9,000 points, and that's not including magic items. Uh, it is including all the special characters, and... Um, yeah, then uh, then I'm also going to uh, do the ogres. In the meantime, I painted up the uh, Man-Eater from Arabia in the last month's challenge. And I'm not sure yet which one I'm going to do now. Uh, well, I didn't, make a, I didn't make a schedule. Let me just look it up. What have I planned for this month? Oh, that's the wrong document. I have too many documents open. I wanted... Oh, I want to do the Ninja Man Eater this month. Oh, that one's going to be fun as well. And uh, I also wanted to do some Pestigore to go along with that kangaroo-legged beastman that I have... Um, rolled up in a previous episode and that I made and converted uh, for the Call of the Crown challenge for last month. If you want to see the result of the Call of the Crown challenge you have to go to my blog which is gjsworkshop.wordpress.com now there is also a little bit of news that I would like to shout out and I don't know if this is of interest to anyone who is listening. It is, well, not so much of interest to me, but it is something that I want to shout out. It just came in in the mail today. And that is that Games Workshop are going to release a Warhammer 40k uh, role-playing game. And that it's called a CRPG. I don't know what the C stands for. Um... You can order the pre-order the collector's edition box for, uh, I think this is $300 American. Uh, it comes with an 8-inch painted Cassia figure, hardcover art book, a warrant of trade that you can personalize with your name, a Rogue Trader banner, and a sticker pack. I'm not sure if that is worth $300 to people, but well, let's... Uh, Let's see uh, how that works and what it is. The role-playing game is called Rogue Trader. Um, I think it's a, uh, a good brand name. There's a, a video on the website, uh, roguetrader.owlcat.games. Uh, that's uh, owl, O-W-L, the, the bird. Or maybe just say the old world lives and, and cat, the, the pet that you get when you are... Uh, when you don't have a dog. Um, sorry, I'm more of a dog person, but uh, roguetrader.owlcat.games. So, for anybody interested in that, check it out, please. Um, this was just a little bit something that came in between that I, I wanted to mention because I almost uh, forgot to mention it. I'm, I'm not very organized today, maybe still because I'm recovering from being ill last week. I had... Uh, um, I don't even know. Is it's called? I think it, it might be called bronchitis. Is it's called? It's called that in in Dutch, and that's what I think I have based on the diagnosis that I gave myself, and what I uh, deduce from what the uh, the doctor's assistant said. 
Um, it, it, it's a lot of coughing, a lot of uh, slime on the lungs, and that doesn't really get out, especially when you lie down uh, at night in bed. Then uh, I have these, these fits of coughing that um, really don't seem to uh, go away in any hurry. And that has taken a lot of energy out of me and uh, so maybe also a little bit of mental energy. So I hope you will forgive me for that. Uh, I am rambling here, I realize. There is one last thing I wanted to shout out before we go into our main segment about the White Dwarf. And that is our very own Wargames Orchard Paint Challenge. If you go to our Facebook group, the Warhammer Orchard, you will find there a uh, description for the December paint challenge. And I see I have not even pinned it yet. Uh, oh, I have to scroll down a long way. The December paint challenge is going to be holiday traditions. As always, you can uh, interpret it any way that you want. I have put down some suggestions. Ogres gathering around the cooking pot for a fresh innards stew. Orcs caroling. And I did put down some carols there. Uh, deck the halls with bowls of goblins. And we wish you a merry warmness. But of course, there is also the goth rocker now with his very own Christmas song that you can uh, easily paint up and put into this challenge if you want to. Uh, we have a uh, suggestion for Bretonians, holy knights riding out silently. Um, you can do a vampire count themed giving a blood kiss under a bow of mistletoe. Make this as silly or as fun as you want. Pick your holiday tradition and it can be any tradition. And if you have a uh, certain thing in mind, then I would love to see what that is. I am of course going to do a zombie pirate theme, but I have no idea what it's going to be yet. I still have to brood on this for a little bit, even though I thought of the theme over a month ago already. So, um, yeah, that's um, that, that's just how, how organized I am with these challenges. It's all, all last minute for me as well. Speaking of the challenge, we do have our... Uh, November challenge up you can vote uh, at least until until up to and including this oncoming weekend you can vote for one of four entries we have uh, Bruce Sigrist who entered Harry Ben a, a beautifully painted dwarf slayer we have Blackbird the chaos dwarf sorcerer who is riding on Redbird the Lamassu by Ted Gunnarsson. We have Jörn Huntler who uh, entered J. John, I believe I pronounce, uh, I have to pronounce it, or, or J. John, uh, I don't know. Uh, Talk to the Hand Snow, the Wood Elf Mage. And my own entry, which is Barber Ben, the Zombie Pirate. You can cast your vote by liking or loving the uh, individual pictures 
And at the moment, the Chaos Dwarf Sorcerer is in the lead. So if you don't want Chaos Dwarfs to win, then vote. And if you do want Chaos Dwarfs to win, then uh, also vote. Because, well, every vote counts, of course. Before this turns political, let's turn this discussion to a very different, very not-so-sensitive topic for the holidays, uh, religion. Why religion? We are talking about a Warhammer podcast. Well, there are some things have, that have been going on in my life lately that have to do with religion. And that is also a nice segue into the topic that we are going to discuss today. Brombrindal the White Dwarf. Now, I don't talk very often about my my own personal beliefs. Uh, I, I don't think that belongs on a Warhammer podcast. But since this is something that has been keeping me busy, I do want to share a little bit about that with you. I have been born and raised a Roman Catholic. And later, I uh, decided I wanted to do more with my faith, with my religion. And then I became a Protestant. And for the longest time I believed that Protestantism was the way to go. That was the uh, the true faith, the biblical faith. Now lately I am doubting those decisions, those convictions. And I have for the first time in my life earnestly been looking at the Catholic faith. And the arguments for that. And... This will probably end with me going back and rejoining uh, the Catholic Church. Now, what has this to do with Warhammer? Absolutely nothing, of course. But the segue is this. Today, the date of recording is December the 6th. And December the 6th is a very important day in the Netherlands. We have every year... A celebration here that is called Sinterklaas. And Sinterklaas is a uh, portmanteau of the uh, what you would translate to Saint Nicholas. Uh, the same Saint Nicholas that Santa Claus has been based on. And there's even a, a very real link between the name Sinterklaas and the name Santa Claus. So... Sinterklaas is a, uh, is a feast for children where on the day before, well, what you tell children is uh, the birthday of Sinterklaas, but which is actually St. Nicholas's anniversary of his, uh, of his death, December the 6th. The day before that, the evening before that, you traditionally give each other gifts and for the children, just like with uh, Santa Claus, you pretend that the gifts are coming from, from Santa Claus. Now, Santa Claus is based off of a 3rd century bishop in modern-day Turkey, uh, St. Nicholas. Nicholas was a, um, a very... What devout man, there have been some, some miracles ascribed to him, uh, especially to do with children bringing uh, murdered children back to life there are some uh, very cool stories you can look them up for yourself and one thing that is it's probably it probably didn't happen but that saint nicholas is known for is that there was a very famous church council 
in 325 AD. This is the Council of Nicaea. There's even a, uh, a, a creed, um, a confession of faith called the Nicene Creed that was uh, devised during that the church council. And one of the reasons that the church held this council, as far as I, I know, is to counter a certain heresy. Uh, the heresy in that day was called Arianism, and that was named after the, the man who is credited with inventing it, uh, Arius. And Arius said that, uh, contrary to what Christians believe, Jesus is not a um, uh, is not God himself, but is a creature, a created being. And the story goes that at this church council, St. Nicholas was present and he lost his temper and he slapped uh, either an Arian, a follower of Arius, or Arius himself in the face. Um, there's, there's a meme going around uh, during these days. Uh, uh, St. Nicholas, I'm here to hand out presents and slap heretics and I'm all out of presents. Um, now, I'm not, of course, promoting violence, but I do think that uh, church councils and church meetings and maybe even religion in general would be a lot more interesting if we saw something more of that. Uh, take that any way you want. Uh, like I said, the story probably didn't happen. It's uh, the earliest sources from the Middle Ages, uh, the late Middle Ages, even around a thousand years after uh, St. Nicholas lived. But this is what I thought of, um, what has been on my mind these past few days. And there is also a link here, maybe a very tentative link, with Grumbrindle the White Dwarf. We have a um, rather, well, maybe jolly, maybe not so jolly person with a big white beard who comes out and uh, slaps around, well, maybe not so much heretics, but at least the enemies of the dwarves. Grumbrindle, the White Dwarf. Uh, let's take a look today at Grumbrindle's history and his rules. And to do that, we have to um, leave the army books behind and go to the magazine that shares his name. To my knowledge, the first time that we see Grombrindle appear is in White Dwarf 200, which was released in the 4th or 5th edition era. I'm not sure yet. It is in, what says here, August on the cover, but I don't know which year. Let me see if I can find that real quick. That might be... No, I don't see it. No copyright notice here anywhere. So, um, uh, on the very last page, I see copyright 1996. All right, that's uh, all the, the preparation I did for this podcast, as you can hear. In uh, August 1996, I believe that puts us at the tail end of fourth edition. We finally get the first iteration of White Dwarf, of the White Dwarf as a uh, miniature with rules. Now, there has been a miniature before that, and I will discuss the miniatures that have been released for White Dwarf 
at the end of this section. The rules for White Dwarf and the uh, story of him and, and there's also in this um, in, in this uh, edition of White Dwarf of the White Dwarf the magazine. This is really confusing. I, I tried look at the, looking things up on the internet. So rules White Dwarf and then you you always get to see the magazine and if you put in rules Grumbundle then you don't get too many results. But uh, anyway, in uh, White Dwarf 200, you have a short section that shows uh, Colin Dixon sculpt uh, in, in the process of sculpting the special White Dwarf miniature. And this is the White Dwarf that's holding up the uh, large two-handed axe in both of his hands. There is also a bit by Nigel Stillman called The Saga of the White Dwarf. The last rays of crimson sunlight bled across the battlefield as the sun set over the day's carnage. The last handful of dwarf warriors had held off the goblin attack, but with the coming night the goblin's confidence would be bolstered. They would attack again and this time they would leave no survivors. One by one, the battle-weary dwarves began to chant their death songs. One by one, until only a single cloaked figure remained in resolute, defiant silence. No one knows where the white wolf will appear. He turns up wherever and whenever his folk are hard-pressed. When the odds are against the dwarves, he comes. He has been seen many times throughout the long history of the dwarves, his strange and unexpected appearance in the darkest hour of battle is recorded in many sagas. Each time he appears, the tide has turned back in the dwarf's favor. There was the time when Umthi the Doomed and his folk were surrounded by goblins. When all seemed lost, the goblin horde shrunk back in dismay. Umthi's warriors were heard to whisper in awe, The White Dwarf. Deep in the midst of the foe, the white-bearded one could be seen swinging his mighty axe, cutting a swath through the ranks of the enemy. Inspired by the sight, Umti's folk, though bleeding and exhausted, took heart and surged forward one last time in a desperate effort to reach the white dwarf, standing alone amidst the goblins. When victory was won and Umti Gazed across the stricken field, the white dwarf was gone and no trace of him was found except for the heaps of slain enemies. A shrine to Grumbrindle now stands in this place, one of many throughout the dwarf realms. Some say that the white dwarf is none other than Snorri Whitebeard, the dwarf king of Karazakarak, who was the only dwarf to receive due and proper respect of the high elf phoenix king of Ulthuan. That was a long, long time ago, before the War of the Beard. If it is true that the White Dwarf is truly an ancestor, and in some uncanny way has become immortal. In the saga of Grombrindle, it says that he wanders the world's edge mountains, following the old dwarf roads disguised as an aged dwarf prospector, swathed in a great cloak. He accepts a swig of good dwarf ale from any traveler he meets and in return speaks a prophecy. Many other times when a strange lone dwarf answering the description 
has been seen keeping himself to himself in the dwarf camp on the eve of battle. Sometimes such one has been seen walking the ramparts of a besieged stronghold. When this happens it is an omen of victory and hope. In the battle the next day the white dwarf has appeared bedecked in all his regal panoply of war like some ancient king of legend a true ancestor just like one of the carvings which has come to life. This is uh, by and large what is the fluff of the white dwarf and it, it remains mostly unchanged as far as I know throughout the years. Uh, there is one point where they say that um, him being Snorri Whitebeard is just one of, of over 40 different theories about who the white dwarf can be. In 4th and 5th edition, I'm going to say 4th edition because the uh, dwarves never got an updated 5th edition book. In 4th edition, Grumbrindle the white dwarf costs 180 points, but that's just his bare cost. You have to add 25 points for the rune crown of Zufbar, 35 points for the armor of Glimril scale, 75 points for the rune axe of Grimnir and 75 points for the rune cloak of Valea, putting him at a total of uh, almost 400 points, 390 points if I calculate this correctly. Your dwarf army may include the white dwarf as an independent character if your opponent agrees. This legendary dwarf is known in Kazalit the Dwarvish Tongue as Grombrindle, which roughly translates as the White Bearded Ancestor. This is just one of the many names which he has been given over the centuries, but it is the most widely known. The White Dwarf has the following profile. He has a movement of 3, weapon skill 7, ballistic skill 6, strength and toughness of 5, 4 wounds initiative 5, 4 attacks and a leadership of 10. The White Dwarf is armed with the Rune X of Grimnir and he wears the armor of Glimril scale. He carries four magic items, the uh, aforementioned Rune X of Glim Grimnir and the armor of Glimril scale. Those are tongue twisters if you say them uh, too often after each other. On his beetling brow rests the Rune Crown of Zufbar and he wears the Rune Cloak of Valea over his mighty shoulders and there's a little uh, box here in the article saying that the cards for the White Dwarf's magic items can be found in the card section of this issue of White Dwarf 200. Um, the White Dwarf has a 5 plus save on a 2d6 and that is uh, it says CD Armor of Glimril Scale Magic Item Card. The armor and other items are not um, uh, explained in the article itself you really have to go to the cards for that one I had to stop the podcast here because I thought I had those cards somewhere in my either 4th or 5th edition magic item set my, uh, my uh, magic boxes however I could not find them and my physical copy of White Dwarf 200 was missing the card inserts Fortunately, I found them online. The Rune Crown of Zufbar costs 25 points, and any fleeing dwarf unit within 12 inches will automatically pass their rally test 
Uh, of course, this has no effect if the white dwarf is still hidden. That's one of the special rules that we'll come to in a minute. The armor of Glimril scales. It's a heavy armor made of Glimril scales. Uh, well, the name would suggest that. This allows him, the white dwarf, to roll two dice when rolling to save. And uh, add the scores together. Uh, you save on a 2d6 roll of a 5+. That's a uh, very interesting one. I've never seen this combination or this, this rule applied in such a way before. Um, the average on 2d6 is of course a 7. So this would give you a way better than average, average chance to save on a 5+. And even if you are uh, counting armor and, and strength, I, I'm sure that if, for example, if you get hit by a strength 6 hit, then you will still be able to make your save even if you only have heavy armor. For a strength 6, you would need to roll a 7+, plus, which on a single d6 is impossible, but on 2d6 is just your average roll all in the day's work. Uh, this one costs 35 points. I think it's underpriced. Um, it should probably be a little bit higher. The Rune Cloak of Vileya. It protects against magic spells. Any spell which affects the White Dwarf is immediately dispelled, uh, instantly dispelled, unless it was cast with the total power card. 75 points. Um, that's probably overpriced because if you know that the white dwarf has that item you will probably not cast any spells at him and in, if you are wondering why I am reading this out so slowly it's because these cards in the PDF that I found are uh, sideways so I have to read uh, sideways or tilt my screen um, which is way too much effort for me. The Rune X of Grimnir, 75 points, not to be confused with the X of Grimnir, which is also a magic item for the dwarves. Uh, the Rune X of Grimnir is a double-handed weapon inscribed with a unique rune and uh, said to be made by Grimnir himself at the dawn of time. This rune allows the white dwarf to roll two dice when rolling to hit and two dice when rolling to wound and pick the best score. Opponents roll two dice when rolling to save against the axe and uh, the worst score will count. Note that unlike other magic weapons the rune axe of Grimnir still adds plus two to the white dwarf's strength although he does not have to strike last. Well, that is definitely worth those 75 points, and I assume that this goes for every attack, so you have to roll each attack separately. That does take a little bit of speed out of the game, but you are now hitting with uh, four attacks, and you can choose the best dice. Two of the times you have strength seven, weapon skill seven, so you're basically hitting everything on a 3 plus and wounding everything on a 2 plus. And you can um, hopefully per attack be able to get in some hits. This makes him a, a very nice character to have. 
The special rules, I already mentioned it in the Crown of Sufbar, the White Wolf can be in disguise. The White Wolf wears a disguise until he is ready to reveal his true self. His usual disguise is a huge cloak which he wraps around himself to conceal his enormous white beard, clearly the sign of an ancestor. While in disguise, he remains hidden in one of the dwarf regiments, secretly note which unit he is in before the battle starts. You can reveal the white dwarf as his true self at the start of any of your turns. If the unit he is in, he is with breaks or flees, the white dwarf immediately reveals himself and the unit stands firm. It is so inspired and encouraged by the side of the white dwarf that it does not break or flee. That's a nifty little trick. If the unit is wiped out before the white dwarf reveals himself, then there will of course be one dwarf left standing. This will be the white dwarf himself revealed. He now operates as an independent character and may join another unit if you wish. So this is a character that can be disguised and you cannot lose him. Uh, whatever you do to the unit, the white dwarf will always be there in the end, even if he's left alone. And well, since this is the Hero Hammer era, probably even able to take down anything that his short legs can reach uh, on his own as well. The White Dwarf is immune to psychology. He is an ancestor who is not quite mortal. He is totally immune to psychology except for the hatred of orcs and goblins which affects all dwarves. He cannot be broken in hand-to-hand -hand combat. If the unit he is with breaks, he will stand his ground which stops any enemy pursuing if he is in base-to-base -base contact with them. However, he can be slain like any other character. No, well, maybe not like any other character because uh, you have that very nice armor save. Uh, although there are some rules and magic items in this edition that uh, ignore armor saves, but then they usually also have the exception except for magical armor. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how he performs in a game of Hero Hammer. Uh, none of the Dwarf Sagas report anything of this kind of him dying, but the annals of their enemies make claim to have slain him. No Dwarf would believe such nonsense, no of course. Now for good measure, let's just look at the general Dwarf rules. It is already m mentioned that he hates Orcs and Goblins. Um, there is also the Dwarf special rule Elf Grudge, which has, uh, comes in effect when you have elf allies or when you have an elf army that has dwarves as allies it simply says things like you cannot use the uh, other person's leadership or the uh, um the battle standard bear does not work um for the other race and there's a nice bit here at the end of this rule uh, dwarves distrust elves so much that they dislike fighting next to them leaving that they are untrustworthy and unlikely to stand their ground Dwarves therefore suffer a minus one leadership penalty if there are any elves within six inches to represent their mistrust and the inevitable discord in the ranks. Note that this only applies to dwarves, not elves, who are far more willing to put aside old and dusty quarrels. Yes, if there is anything a dwarf does not like, it is putting aside old and dusty quarrels, but it's just bringing them up every time they can. There are two more special rules. One is that dwarves can wear heavy armor and um and and uh, shield um uh, without the encumbrance penalty they always have a move of three inches normally in hero hammo when you have heavy armor and shield then you lose one point of movement 
and dwarves are not particularly fast, even if in the frantic running combat of close pursuit, they flee and pursue one inch less than other troops, 2d6 minus 1 rather than 2d6. Um, but since the white dwarf cannot flee, I don't think that will come into effect. He can of course pursue, so there's that. That's it for White Dwarf 200. For the next iteration of White Dwarf, we have to go 100 issues into the future to White Dwarf 300. In White Dwarf 300, we have once again the saga of the White Dwarf. And this is, like I said, more or less the same. Maybe it's even word for word the same as what it was that I just read. So I'm not going to read that again. Now we are in the 6th edition era, and um, in, uh, let me just check here real quick the date. This is, uh, let's see, this extra thick 300 issue is in December. Uh, why don't they ever put a, a year here? Uh, let's see what the copyright notice says. Copyright 2004, so I believe this is right before the 2nd 6th edition dwarf book hit the shelves. The White Dwarf has gone up in points to 526 points including his magic items. It's not gone up that much um, but well seeing as how the uh, characters were treated between Hero Hammer and 6th edition uh, it's to be expected that, that he gets a little bit more expensive and also a little bit lower in stats. His movement is still 3 of course because he is a dwarf, his weapon skill is still 7. His ballistic skill has gone down from 6 to 4, not that he needs it. His strength has gone down from 5 to 4, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, his toughness has remained at 5, he still has 4 wounds and 4 attacks, however his initiative has also gone down 1 point from 5 to 4. His leadership however has remained at 10. The White Dwarf may be taken as a Lord Choice, but he will also eat up a Hero Choice, as was often the case in 6th edition with these special characters. The White Dwarf still has the special rule Disguised. If you wish, the White Dwarf may start the game hidden in any Dwarf unit except War Machine and its crew. If the Disguise is not placed on the table, so this is basically the same rule as it was. Um, it's also if the unit is wiped out of fleas, the white dwarf will be revealed, stand his ground even when the rest of the unit may be fleeing or slain. So it's no longer an automatic rally when the white dwarf is revealed. The white dwarf re may reveal his true self at the start of enemy any close combat phase, no longer at the start of your turn, but at the start of the close combat phase. At this point, he is immediately placed in the front rank of his chosen unit, displacing one of the normal rank and file models. Um, if there are no such models in the front rank, you must be placed in the second rank. So make sure when you make your unit that it is wide enough. Once revealed, he operates as any other character model. Note that if the White Dwarf is the army general, units can only benefit from his leadership after he has been revealed. It's only one point of leadership that he adds to the regular Dwarf. I believe Dwarfs were mostly leadership 9 anyway. Maybe leadership 8. So well, it does matter, but... Uh, you can, uh, you can choose to reveal him or you can um, choose to keep him secret. The White Wolf is so ancient and battle-hardened that he is unbreakable. 
However, he always will maintain his hatred of greenskins. In this edition, uh, it is also the same dwarves hate greenskins. So fearless is he that if his chosen unit breaks and flees for any reason, he will stand his ground. If the unit was engaged in close combat, he will stand firm and continue to fight while the unit flees. So that is still the same. Before we go to the magic items, let's first look at the other rules dwarves have in 6th edition. Uh, they have the rule ancestral, ancestral Grudge, which basically says that they hate any green skin of any kind. They have the rule Resolute, they are slow to abandon their position, they flee and pursue 2d6 minus 1 inches instead of the normal 2d6 inches. And they have gained a rule called Relentless, which means that the dwarf can always march even if there are enemies within 8 inches of him. This was in the 6th edition and also in the 6.5 book, these rules have remained the same. So. Um, these rules apply to the white dwarf no matter which of the army books you choose to use here the magic items are still the same for ones that he has although their rulings have been changed a little bit in some cases the rune helm of zufbar is now no longer a crown it is a helm um, any fleeing unit of dwarves will always rally automatically if they are attempting to rally within 12 inches. That one is still the same. The armor of Glimril scales now gives a 1 plus armor save and a 4 plus ward save. Which I think is arguably better than the 2d6 roll. Although it is nice to have the chance to roll 2d6 uh, for an armor save and, and then add the result together. Uh, it's, it's just a fun mechanic that doesn't pop up and uh, I like that uh, better than the 1 plus armor save, 4 plus ward save. Uh, even though, like I said, that one is arguably better. The White Dwarf has a magic resistance of 3, which is granted by the Rune Cloak of Phalea. And the Rune Axe of Grimnir gives plus 2 strength and requires 2 hands to use, but does not automatically strike last. That is still the same. It allows the dwarf to re-roll any failed rolls to hit and any failed rolls to wound. In addition, opponents must re-roll any successful armor saves. This is basically the same as what it was, not really, but um, it is a lot more streamlined this way. I can see why they did it, although it might still be more fun to roll each attack separately and then pick your dice, choose your dice. It, it, I think it adds a little bit more tension even though it slows the game down. There is one final iteration of the White Dwarf that I found. I don't exactly know where this one is from. I found it in a PDF. It linked to the Games Workshop website, but that link is of course now no longer available. I think this is for the 8th edition uh, variety. And the miniature that's represented here, well, I should say that in the White Dwarf uh, 300, the miniature is of the White Dwarf holding the axe over his shoulder and uh, having a uh, an, an upturned helm that is filled with beer. Uh, I believe that was actually the first dwarf miniature I ever got my hands on. I think I got him with the German edition of White Dwarf 100. 
And the reason I got that one was because it was for sale at Games Day in Colonia, where I was in 2003, 2004 and 2005. I don't know exactly in which of the years this was. Um, I, I, uh, I got free tickets to go there because I was at that time a moderator at the Games Workshop Forum. Uh, which was fun and uh, nice to meet people. I met Gav Thorpe there, did some uh, interview questions with him on behalf of the forums. Um, so yeah, that was a, a fun experience. Uh, went there with a couple of different friends each year. Um, went both to the uh, to the fair, got some ninjas and also did some sightseeing in Colonia there. Um, yeah, very nice uh, games day experience. The only games days that I've been to in my life, uh, by the way. So, um, why did I mention this? Oh yeah, because of the miniature in uh, the, the the PDF one that I found, which which links back to th- 2014. So that should be in the um, in the eighth edition era, right near the end uh, when they when they were starting to do those end times things, and when White Dwarf went down from a monthly magazine to a weekly magazine for a while. In this era, you have a White Dwarf miniature who is uh, holding his axe over his right shoulder and he's holding it in a very funny way with the fingers pointing down and then the thumb pointing along the fingers, so not in a very practical way. And his left hand is pointing forward. He's holding the axe almost as if he's... If, if he had turned it around, you could say that he was looking over the blade to inspect the sharpness, but... Um, the way he's holding it now is just, well, it might be a cool pose, but it's not very practical. Alright, enough of Grumpy GJ. Uh, Grumbrindle, the White Dwarf, has gone down in points to 500. His stats have remained unchanged from what they were in uh, 6th edition. He has the rules Special Grudge, uh, uh, sorry, the Special Rules Ancestral Grudge, Resolute and Relentless. And you are referred to Warhammer Army's Dwarfs for those special rules. That should be the 8th edition Dwarf book which I have here in front of me. Resolute. Models with this special rule have plus 1 strength during a turn in which they charge into combat. Relentless. Units composed entirely of models with this special rule do not need to pass a leadership test in order to march regardless of the proximity to enemy units. A shield wall in a turn in which their unit is charged. All models with this special rule receive a plus one bonus to any parry save they are eligible to take. Note that this bonus applies even if the unit is charged whilst it is already engaged in close combat. And the uh, parry save in this edition was a uh, six plus ward save. Um, well, at least that's, that's the uh, general rule for that. The other special rules for the White Dwarf. Grumbrindle has no fear. The White Dwarf is so ancient and battle-hardened that he is unbreakable. That has remained the same. Even if a unit breaks and flees for any reason, he will always stand his ground. If the unit was engaged in close combat, he will stand firm and continue to fight. This rule has remained unchanged for... um, I, I think close on 20 years, 18 years at this point. Grumbrindle can even join a unit that does not have the unbreakable special rule. This is an exception to the normal unbreakable rules. 
they had to add that because in 8th edition uh, that was rule. Disguised, you um, the White Wolf wears a disguise until he is ready to reveal his true self. It is a huge cloak he wraps around himself to conceal his enormous white beard, the sign of an ancestor, word for word the same as it was in the previous edition. You can still hide him if you wish. If you um, do not wish to hide him, you can just uh, put him there. You have to make a note of the unit and at the start of a close combat phase he may reveal himself. He operates as a character model. You still have to place him in the front rank or in the second rank if there is no room. And if the White Dwarf is the army general then he can only uh, units can only benefit from his leadership after he has been revealed. He still has the same four magic items. The Rune Helm of Zufbar, Zufbar Dwarfs will rally automatically within 12 inches. The Armor of Glimril scales a 1 plus armor save and a 4 plus ward save. The Rune Cloak granting him magic resistance 3. And finally the Rune Axe of Grimnir. Um, which gives him plus 2 strength and allows him to reroll any failed rolls to hit and any failed rolls to wound. And of course your opponent has to reroll armor saves. This uh, article, this PDF, closes with a word to the wise. The rules included here enable you to use Grom Brindle in your games. It's perfectly fine to take him along to battles against your friends. Not everybody will be aware of his rules, so before you use him in a tournament or at an organized play event, it is worth checking with the organizers that he is okay to use at the event. So basically opponent's permission here. Now there is one iteration of the White Dwarf that I skipped and that one we find in White Dwarf 330. That is the 30th anniversary number for the White Dwarf. In this issue you have the Legend of the White Dwarf which is slightly different. There's a different story here than it was. And you have some rules here. I will read you the uh, story and the rules and um, look over this model because this is a very nice model. This is the uh, anniversary edition. Uh, the White Dwarf standing on a shield carried by none other than Joseph Buckman and uh, Gotrek the Slayer. The White Dwarf is a warrior king, the likes of which the old world has rarely seen. Adam Troke recounts the tale of one of this mysterious hero's most celebrated battles. The events that caused Joseph Buckman, Gotrek Gurnison and the White Dwarf to cross paths has been committed to legend by the greatest dwarf historians and finds itself within the history books of several dwarf holds. This first fateful meeting took place at the Battle of Cragmere, near the sundered dwarf hold Carrick Varn. At the Battle of Cragmere, a small dwarf army of just a hundred or so dwarfs, mostly inexperienced beardlings and weary old veterans, faced a numberless horde of goblins, orcs and foul chaos beastmen. It was a battle that the dwarfs could never have won, and yet, when hearts were at their lowest, new hope was stirred, for a hero from legend arrived. Joseph Buckman slipped stealthily through the enemy ranks to stand beside his kinsmen. 
The arrival of Bugman rekindled a small flame of courage in the hearts of the dwarves who stood surrounded on all sides by mountains and monstrous foes. Even as the goblin war drums beat out their steady rhythm, a new player entered the game. With steely eyes and hair as bright as flame, Gotrek Gurnison, the most renowned of all dwarf slayers, strode forth from the shadows and vowed to die alongside his dwarf brothers. Gotrek's axe glittered in the moonlight and his one good eye gleamed with malice. All gathered knew of Gotrek's prowess and his many, uh, and many whispered that while there could not be victory for the dwarves, perhaps a heroic death was within their reach. Then even the most pessimistic Longbeard gained cause for celebration as moments later the last new participant was revealed. Casting off a dirty cloak, an ancient dwarf with a beard as white as snow announced himself. It was Grombrindle, the white dwarf himself, come not to die beside his fellows, but to fight and live. The battle that followed was brief and bloody, and all three heroes steeped themselves in glory. The songs that tell of it say how Grombrindle slew 5,000 orcs, while Gothrak waded thigh deep through black blood, the corpse of every last beastman strewn around about him. They say how each dwarf there fought like an ancestor god, and how not one was slain thanks to the restorative powers of Bugman's brew. The truth of such events, of course, is unknowable, for such things are ripe targets for embellishments and the like. However, one grain of truth seems to remain. All who claim to have been at that fateful battle bear witness of two facts. That after there was feasting the likes of which none had ever seen, and that Grombrindle, Bugman and Gotrek swore an oath of kinship that could never be broken. This oath they took upon the legendary ancestor shield of Karaza Karak. Each of the three swore, swore that, should Dwarfkind ever need their aid, they would come, breaking whatever bonds of death held them, to do battle with their kin. They would fight as one, and just as on that day at Kragmere, they would triumph over evil. Then we have on this page a box, Gaming for the Unhinged. The rules represented here for the White Dwarf a Limited Edition model are strictly just for fun. They represent what the alliance between these three most famous dwarves could be like were they ever roused to anger together. As you may imagine, this would be almost unstoppable and that makes them slightly unbalanced, as we will see in a moment. Feel free to use a model in battles against your opponent, but you really ought to tell them what you're going to, uh, you're going to play with the new white dwarf before you start that game. That way your fellow gamer can bring his most powerful and deadly models for these three mighty dwarves to pit their skills against. Greater dream, greater demons, dragons and special characters are all fair game. In fact anything less won't have much of a chance at all. That way you can both have a good laugh. The white dwarf as he's presented here is not intended for normal use so check with your opponent that he is, uh, that he's got enough of a beard to take on the legendary Grombrindle. On the last note, these special rules are certainly not suitable for use in tournaments, events or pickup games. Grombrindle the White Dwarf costs a hefty 1000 points. And this is a model with a single stat line. 
The White Dwarf has a movement of 3, a weapon skill of 7, ballistic skill 4, strength 4, toughness 5, 4 wounds, initiative 4, 4 attacks and a leadership of 10. His stat line has remained unchanged from what it was in uh, 6th and 8th edition. The White Dwarf model consists of Grumblindle, the White Dwarf himself, carried by Gotrek and Bergman. In these rules, the White Dwarf refers to the entire playing piece. It is one Lord choice and has a unit strength of 3. He has these special rules, Ancestral Grudge, which says that uh, he hates all orcs and goblins. Buckman and Gotrek. Grumbrindle does battle where the fighter is most dire and only the hardiest heroes could hope to bear him into battle and live. Joseph Buckman, the most renowned of dwarf brewers, and Gotrek Gurnison, the deadliest dwarf slayer of this age, are two such individuals. Gotrek and Buckman each add their own attacks to those of the profile above. All of the attacks made by the white dwarf bees, whatever their source, are magical. Buckman's attacks are resolved as 4 strength 5 attacks with an initiative of 4, and Gotrek adds 4 attacks at initiative of 5 that automatically wound any target, and allow no armor saves. So that gives you uh, 12 attacks in total with this model, that's supposed to do some damage, right? Wounds inflicted by Gotrek cause d3 wounds. In the case of demons and dragons, this increases to d6. There is still the rule Grom Rindle has no fear. He has faced such horrors that nothing daunts him, and dwarves draw courage from his example. The White Dwarf is unbreakable and immune to psychology. Unlike other unbreakable characters, the White Dwarf may join units without that rule and makes that unit unbreakable while he remains with it. That is a uh, fun thing to have that also resolves that whole the unit fleeing and the white dwarf standing his ground. Strong drinking and strong oaths. The alliance between Grumbrindle, Joseph Buckman and Gotrek Gurnison was first forged over a, bug, over a jug of Buckman's 6x. Such is the case whenever such individuals meet and drink that their strong personalities will sometimes cause a difference of opinion. The controlling player must roll a d6 at the start of each of his movement phases and consult the table below. If the unit is engaged in close combat, they are too busy to argue, there's no need to roll. On a 1 to 2, the result is a beer with an exclamation mark. Joseph Buckman decides that now is a jolly good time to avail himself to a tankard of beer. The White Dwarf may not move at all that turn, however any wounds suffered up to that point are restored. 3-4 Wisdom of Ages. Grumbindle's wisdom prevails, they act normally this turn. 5-6 Buy Grimnir's beard. Overcome with a rage that heroic death has thus far evaded him, Gotrek hurls himself at the group at the enemy. This turn the White Dwarf must move 12 inches towards the enemy unit with the greatest points value. If this move results in the White Dwarf making contact with an enemy unit, it counts as a charge. Um, I'm not sure how this will work when he is in a unit, it doesn't say so. I assume that it is that the unit is still restricted to their normal move. Um, I think that the, uh, the wording the white dwarf, uh, it just says the white dwarf must move 12 inches. So I assume that he has to leave the unit if that is the case.
magic items. The rune helm of Zufbar. Grumrendel's helmet is imbued with a powerful magic that fills the dwarf hearts with courage. Can you guess what it does? In the rally fleeing troops part of the white dwarf's turn, any fleeing dwarf unit within 12 inches will automatically rally, even if it has been reduced to below 25% of its starting strength. Uh, that's a good point to note because I think that was unclear in the previous rules. I think it is implied, but well, rules as written, uh, below 25% you cannot rally. Armor of Glimril Scales. After the Battle of Thrag, in which the White Dwarf slew 10,000 Warriors of Chaos, uh, just your average Tuesday afternoon, I guess, a single scale of armor was found clenched in the teeth of a Lord of Chaos. The Runesmiths were mystified and called it the Glimril, believing that the ancestor gods themselves had forged it. From Brindle's Glimril armor gives the White Dwarf a 1 plus armor save and a 4 plus ward save. The Rune Cloak of Valea. The runes embroidered on the great cloak worn by the White Dwarf display without a doubt that it was woven by the goddess Valea. Sagas relate how Valea fell in love with Grom Brindle on account of his magnificent white beard and gave him the cloak as a token of her esteem. The cloak still gives you a magic resistance of 3. The Rune X of Grimnir, of, uh, no sorry, not the Rune X of Grimnir, no longer the Rune X of Grom Brindle it is called now. This axe has slain countless foes, and though the blade is pitted and scarred, it remains as deadly as the day it was forged. None but the White Dwarf can answer the question of its origins, but it is said its power rivals even the axe of Grimnir wielded by Thorgrim Grudgebearer. Grumbrindles, but not Buckman's or Gotrek's hits, are resolved at strength 6. In addition, Grumbrindle, but not Buckman or Gotrek, must re-roll all failed rolls to hit or to wound, and opponents wounded by him must reroll any successful armor save, so that rule is still in place. The Ancestor Shield, you have a new magic item here, it's the shield that um, the White Dwarf stands on. The air around the shield throbs with power as arrows, bolts and cannon shot are halted by its awesome influence. The strength of any ranged attacks targeted at the White Dwarf, including magic missiles, cannonballs, arrows and anything else which might be considered ranged and an attack, is halved. Such is the magic of the Ancestor's Shield that nothing, not spells, magic items or anything else can take away its powers. It also protects the magic items which are carried by the White Dwarf. They will always work and that's that. I assume that this... Well, there's, there's only the magic items carried by the White Dwarf themselves because they are in this magic item section. It does not refer to any items that Bugman or Gotrek are carrying. So, 1000 points. I have this model and I have always... Well, I haven't painted them up yet, uh, of course, because I'm way behind on all the models that I have to paint up. Uh, I have always wanted to field him and, and see how he performs in battle. It is a very beautiful model. Uh, very dynamic also. Uh, Bugman standing there with a, a mug of ale in his hand. Uh, the beer slushing over the rim. Uh, Grom Brindle heroically with the axe above his head. And uh, Gotrek just looking, um, well, like Gotrek, uh, a dwarf slayer that you do not want to mess with. Speaking of miniatures, I don't think there has been a special character in the long history of Games Workshop 
that has received as many iterations as the White Dwarf and the reason for that are the subscription models. Let's take a look at the White Dwarf miniatures through the ages. The oldest one that I know of is from the 80s, I believe 1987, but don't quote me on that. It is a miniature of the White Dwarf standing with his uh, legs apart, his right hand on his hip, and his left hand is resting on his axe, which is um, standing on the ground next to him with the, the blade pointing up. Um, so the... Um, uh the 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 left hand of the white dwarf is is resting on the on the blade of the axe um it's it's uh, it's a nice miniature but it doesn't scream special character and maybe that's because it wasn't yet then we have the white dwarf editions that i mentioned in the articles with the articles we have the white dwarf 200 version that was um, sculpted by Colin Dixon, where the White Dwarf is holding his axe in two hands. The axe is pointing up, and he's holding it uh, across the, the left side of his body. Um, you have the White Dwarf 300 model, where the White Dwarf is holding his helmet upside down with uh, a healthy sloshing of beer inside. We have, of course, the White Dwarf 330, um, yeah, White Dwarf magazine number 330, the 30th anniversary of White Dwarf, the special miniature with Guthrie and Bugman that I just mentioned. And we have that miniature that was released in, it should be 2014, with the White Dwarf holding his axe at that very weird position with the blades over his shoulder and the handle of his axe pointing forward but with his hand on it in such a way that it is not easily grasped and not very um was well, it just not very practical then we have some uh, subscription models and i don't know if which years they were or if they are in the correct order i have here the bell of lost souls page in front of me and uh, the, I think the oldest subscription model is of the White Dwarf as a, uh, as a squad. He is standing with a sort of mechanical hammer, I think it is. He's got a, a space helmet in front of him. Uh, on his back, there's a backpack with a mechanical claw with an arm that's holding a very disgruntled looking goblin in a spacesuit with a tiny little rocket uh, uh, I think as an earring, uh, the goblin is holding his mask in his hand, and the white dwarf is giving him uh, giving you a thumbs up uh, for grabbing the goblin. Uh, these models are all very characterful, but not very practical. These are all display pieces. The next one up is di director Grumbrindle, a very steampunk-looking camera, a director's chair, a clipboard. The white dwarf is holding an old-fashioned megaphone, uh, which is just a rolled-up cone. And he is standing with a uh, uh, white baggy trousers and, and what looks to be a t-shirt and a French beret. And he's got uh, some glasses on. He's giving orders to, well, what, whichever movie is being filmed. Then we have the 
aviator Grumbrindel, where he is standing, uh, possibly in salute. I'm not sure about that. He might just be holding his hand over his eyes, uh, over his glasses. He is holding the propeller of a plane or a gyrocopter. There's a uh, bomb, I think it is, lying next to him. Yeah, he's standing very straight at attention. It in a what you would expect to be an an well an aviator suit, a uh, basically one of those World War One biplane dogfighter flying aces. Uh, toss out some terms that you like. Then we have the White Dwarf as a pirate, a also very characterful miniature. There's uh, he's standing. Um, with one boot on an opened treasure chest, there is a, a book in that treasure chest, possibly even supposed to be a white dwarf magazine. He is peering through a spyglass. There is a parrot sitting on his head. So he's got one of those triangular uh, Captain Jack Sparrow hats. And the parrot on his head is, is wearing a medal and is also wearing a similar hat. Grumbrindle holds a pistol that has uh that's one of those old timey toy pistols with a cork that is connected to the pistol via a rope or a rubber band and the uh well not the last one there there's uh, there's a couple more but i think the last of the subscription models the last of the white dwarf subscription models is Rumbrindle the white dwarf as a vampire hunter he is standing in a witch hunter tunic on top of a half-opened coffin, which is on top of a, a table that's sagging through its legs. Um, the There's a vampire coming out of the coffin. Crombrindle is holding a hammer with some cog wheels in one hand and a stake in the other hand. Uh, let's face it, the vampire is doomed, but a very nice miniature. There is a... One that's not on this page is the... 40th anniversary model which was the white dwarf standing on a box or uh, on a pile of boxes a pile of presents in a space marine armor i believe he's painted as an ultramarine there is a blood bowl version of him the white dwarf with the black goblin i think that's the only one i don't have probably because i don't play blood bowl i i did not even know this one existed until i looked it up today uh, the white dwarf is uh, his his mane is very ragged. He's uh, he's holding the football, and um, he's he's got some red and gold armor that might pass for regular armor, but that's it's probably more supposed to be um, that uh, football armor that you see appearing a lot in Blood Bowl. There is still one miniature that is still for sale, and that is Grumbrindle as a Slayer. Oh no, wait, the uh, Space Marine Dwarf is here. Sorry, I, w I should have scrolled up further. Uh, Grumbrindle as a Slayer, that's a plastic model. I just checked the website, it is no longer for sale, unfortunately. Uh, I believe it was grouped in with the Fire Slayers faction. I checked the Fire Slayers and I checked the uh, Cities of Sigma for good measure, but it is not there anymore. This miniature is uh, the White Dwarf. I think he was also painted as a regular Slayer with a with a, with an orange uh, crest. But the White Dwarf with the Slayer uh, haircut. 
He's holding two axes and he's jumping up over a statue of a fallen statue of a dragon, I believe it is. Uh, he's a, it is a very dynamic model, a very dynamic pose. Uh, maybe a little bit too dynamic to be practical. And, well, he, he just has uh, these two axes which don't appear in the rules anywhere. I'm sure you can fit them in with the rules, but there's... Uh, or you can use him as a regular uh, Slayer Lord. Or just paint him up as a display model just like all the other ones. Then I think the very last one of the iterations is the White Dwarf as an uh, Admech Tech Priest. Which is a miniature that was released at the... I believe it was the Christmas 2019 miniature... Uh, the White Dwarf has a a completely mechanical beard made up out of all kinds of tubes that end in different things, um, different utensils. It seems that he can use them as such. They, some of them are pointing up, one with a drill bit. He's got a large axe which is shaped like half a cork. There's a goblin standing in front of him. I'm not sure what the goblin is doing. It might even be, be drooling or something. Uh, the goblin is, is mostly robot as well. Mostly mechanical. Uh, the white dwarf is uh, very much cybernetically enhanced. Although he does look rather happy with it. These are, uh, to my knowledge, all the different white dwarf miniatures that have ever been released. And I must say it took me a little while on eBay and then probably a little bit too much money as well to hunt them all down. But, well, I am one of those collectors uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. Although I do not need to have every single miniature in every single iteration. Uh, for the White Wolf, well, once I started I just thought, oh, I just have to grab that one and then release another one the year after and... Uh, even if you already had a White Dwarf subscription, you were still able to uh, order those miniatures as well. So that's how I got a couple. Um, well, uh, long story short, uh, I'm, I spent way too much time and way too much money on Warhammer. That's going to be it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you will forgive me my religious ramblings, especially if that's not your thing. Uh, but this is a big part of my life and I did want to share a little bit about that. Now, if you want to know more or if you have any any uh, questions or advice or, or if you are in a similar search, um, just uh, feel free to contact me. Uh, I promise I won't talk about religion on the podcast too much. Uh, this is primarily a Warhammer podcast. Although I do have a plan to do something similar as what I did with the Bretonian episode, but then with Empire. Because, well, religion is also a large part of the Warhammer world. And many of the Warhammer religions find their uh, counterpart in the real world. For example, you have these, these ancestor gods of the dwarves that have a very Norse feeling, a very Norse god feeling with Phalea. The, the goddess of home and hearth and beer and healing uh, relating to uh, Freya in the Norse pantheon. 
you have um, uh, Grimnir, who you can relate to uh, uh, to Thor, I think, the, the god of thunder and war. You have uh, Grungni, who is the, the, the father figure god, who you can relate to Odin. Um, right, I, I told you I, I wasn't going to uh, talk too much about religion, and here I am doing that again. Uh, thank you once again for listening, and have a very great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram, or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.